Many lives are severely restricted by fear. One of the most prevalent fears we experience is the fear of lack. This message is the fifth in the series, Fear Less. The message is entitled, Less Fear of Lack, Part Two. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets. We're going to continue our series today entitled Fear Less, two words, how to have less fear in your life. And again, it's not fearless, one word, but actually fear less, two words, how to not get rid of all fear because there's no way that you and I will ever be completely fearless. Uh, In fact, some fears are good for you. They protect you. But there are other fears that are damaging to your life and create dysfunction for you and hurt you spiritually and emotionally and relationally. And so we're trying to attack those fears in ways that we can lessen their impact in our lives. And last weekend, we started talking about uh, less fear of lack. And I started in this uh, two-part message in the broader series, how to actually deal with the issue of provision in your life, having enough, and the fear that you're not going to have enough, the fear of lack. And what I told you that I wanted to do this weekend, uh, and by the way, just as a side note, if you missed last weekend, I really encourage you to go back and get that message because it really does, today's message really builds to some degree on what we talked about last week, and that's available for you uh, in the foyer, uh, free of charge. You can get a free CD. We always provide free teaching copies of our, of our series, uh, either on CD or by downloading it from the website at church-redeemer.org. It's the best way to get it. Uh, But go back and listen to that message because it's very important foundationally what I'm going to be sharing with you today. But I told you last week, today it's really practical. I want to talk to you about how to actually begin to do things that will attack the fear of lack in your life. How you can really take active steps to begin that process. So I'm going to share with you eight things today that will help you to do this. Again, the first two will be a bit more on the dimension of just how we view God and relate to God than the next six actual things that God calls us to do so we lessen this fear in our life. Number one, the first thing this weekend, if you and I are going to have less fear of lack in life, we need to trust God as our life source. You have to trust God in a very personal way as the source for your life. A source really is the place where you get stuff from. That's really all it is. Their source is what you look to, what you trust in to get what it is, that whatever it is you're looking for. The tendency that we all have in life is to look to people and things to resource us. That's just the natural human orientation. But we're called in relationship with God through Jesus Christ to look beyond the natural world around us and to realize that while God might use people and God might use jobs and situations of that nature to provide for us, ultimately He is our provider. He is the source of your life. And why is that so important? Because a job can come and go and resources may seem to slip away and friends can come and go, but God remains the same and God promises to be there with you at all times and to be your continuing source in life. And so when you and I kind of put secondary other sources and we look to God as our primary source, it begins to uh, eradicate a lot of fear from us. Jesus really taught us this in his, his prayer that he, model prayer that he gave us in Matthew chapter 6. He said, pray like this. You know the prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we start by praising God, honoring God, and then welcoming God's will to be done, his rule, his kingdom to be established in our life. And then the very next request is, give us today our what? Daily bread. 
Jesus said that we have to lean in to God and realize that God is the source, not just of bread, but daily bread, that God is committed to taking care of you daily. I like that, don't you? That I don't have to worry with whether God's going to be with me on occasion. God has promised to be with me daily. And every day I lean into him as the real primary source of my life. The children of Israel learned something about this lesson of leaning into God for provision daily when they were going through their wilderness journey. Uh, For 40 years, they were traveling on the way to the promised land. And of course, when you're in the wilderness, there's no food available, no pasture land, so you can have have herds and uh, no place where you can grow crops. It's a horrible place when it comes to provision. There's no resource around you in a desert. But God reminded the children of Israel that when you go through this wilderness over these 40 years, I'm going to be with you every day. And what God did was every day he would rain down something called manna from heaven. It was, it was angel food, true angel food, okay? And God rained it down from heaven every day, and they went out and they would gather it with the exception of on the Sabbath day, and they would gather enough on the day before the Sabbath to take them through the Sabbath day. But they learned the, 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 the reality that God is the daily source of provision in our lives. And they also learned that God had enough, that God had an unlimited supply. There was never a day that they missed a meal. Isn't that wonderful to think about? Not one single day for 40 years did they miss a meal. Not one single day did they go without clothing and provision for their life. God daily met their needs. And the reason that we can lean into God as our source is He's a faithful, trustworthy God. And we trust Him to be the source of our life. And also, He has enough and He wants to give it to you and me. This is something that has to change in our thinking. This will really help you to get rid of some fear of lack in your life. It's to realize that God not only has, but God loves to give. God loves to bless. He is a generous God that has enough. There has never been a lack or a scarcity in heaven. Do you know that? There's never been a moment that God said, oh, sorry, I ran out of supply. There's never been a chapter 11 or chapter 13 in heaven. There's never been a time when God said, don't have enough, can't meet that need, because heaven has an ample supply of everything that you and I will ever need. And that's why when we look beyond our natural sources, natural sources are limited, right? People can only give you so much. The resources that you have, even in your job, can only provide so much. But when you go beyond the natural resource and you look to God, you're not only looking to a God who is trustworthy to meet that need, but a God who has more than enough for your need. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to bless you, what's the word there, abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God is able to bless you again abundantly. So trust God as your life source. The second thing that you and I must do if we're going to get rid of the fear of lack in our life and lessen it, we have to believe God's promises for our provision. We trust that God is the source, but we move beyond trust to an active faith or a belief that God's promise is personal for us, that God has a personal promise for provision. Now, there's a difference between saying, I know God can meet needs, to that next step of saying, I believe God will meet my needs. Or to say, I know that God can meet needs, 
And I know that God will meet needs, perhaps for someone else. But to come to that place where you really believe and have a confidence that God will meet your needs. That God cares enough about you that you can actually come to him with a personal kind of faith that says, God, I believe that you will do this for me. Let me give you a spiritual principle. Then we'll look at what Jesus said here in just a moment in Matthew chapter 6, talking about this. But there's a spiritual principle that helps us to see this, how this operates. Does God have enough in heaven? Does he? Okay. We've already said that God is able to bless you, how? Abundantly. So God has plenty. There's not any question about the supply of God. And we want to access God's supply for our lives, correct? He has it. We need to receive it because we need our daily bread. We need the sustenance of life in various dimensions. And the Bible teaches us that the way that we access the promises of God, of all the resources that He has for us, is by faith. Say it with me, by faith. Every blessing of God comes to your life with you exercising something called faith. When I use my faith, it is the way I lay hold of or I claim the promise of God for my own life. See, for example, in salvation, when I heard the good news of the gospel that Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins, and I believed that he rose from the grave, and I said, Jesus, I want you in my life. I put my faith in Jesus, and my faith opened the door of salvation to me in my life. And so faith is the way you and I access. I illustrate it this way, just a bit envision with me for a moment this massive warehouse that would have anything that you would ever need in your life, right? And that's the God warehouse, right? Anything you'll ever need in your life is in the God warehouse, correct? Okay, no question about it. No lack, whatever the need is, it's in the God warehouse. But of course, there's a door on the warehouse that we have to enter through and we have to enter through by, enter that door by something that we do, and we have to have a key to the door, okay? And the key to the door that opens up for you and me access to the warehouse of God is the key called faith. At some point in time, you have to begin to say, I believe not only that God can, I believe that God boom, boom, will do it in my life. And as soon as you move beyond the God can to the God will, and you begin to have that confidence and faith in God, you begin to step into that flow of provision for your life and, and the rest and the peace that comes from that. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, these are the words of Jesus, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith. So do not worry saying, Why, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, it's people that don't know God, run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness and all these things. See, God knows that you need things in your life, right? All these things will be given to you as well. So to get past the fear of lack, you have to engage your faith. Now, trust God as your source. Believe, engage your faith in the promises of God. Now, how do we engage our faith in the promises of God? It requires action on your part. Faith, just with words, doesn't activate. Faith requires action, okay? You have to do something to demonstrate faith. If you say that you really believe something, you'll do something. Faith requires action. Faith without works is dead, okay? So anytime you say that you believe something, real belief is always backed up by action. Trust and faith always results in something that you actually do. When you came in this morning in your worship center, whatever campus you're in today, you walked through the doors and you came into the worship center and there were chairs provided for you and you didn't stop and analyze whether you were going to sit down or not. By experience in the past, you realize I can trust, generally I can trust a chair, right? A few of us have had bad experiences with chairs from time to time. But generally speaking, you can say I can trust a chair, right? And so your trust, you didn't really contemplate it very much. But you demonstrated, you could say all day long, I trust chairs and stay standing, right? And even though you say, I trust a chair, faith is demonstrated when you do what? When you actually sit down, okay? And so when you sit, that's when you say you're actually putting legs, if you will, or I might say a bottom, if you will, to your faith. You're actually putting that bottom on that seat cushion and saying, now I receive the reality of what I said I trust in. Now, the same is true when you walk with God. Every promise of God, you have to take some steps to demonstrate that you actually are not just mouthing words, okay? It's easy to mouth words. What you have to do with faith is put it into action. Faith without works is dead, okay? And so these next six things I'm going to give you are the action steps that you take to show that you trust God that opens that door that allows you to access the provision that God has for you in his warehouse. And so I will promise you that if you'll do these six things, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where real faith is proven. By doing these six things, you will demonstrate, I really do trust God as the source of my life, and I will promise you on the authority of Scripture, not my authority, but the authority of Scripture, that if you will do these things, you will never suffer lack in your life. You will always be taken care of by God, but you have to do something. You have to demonstrate your faith. So let me give you these six things, and let's look at them together for just a few moments. Number one, you have to make the practice, make it a practice in your life that you give God your first fruits. I'm going to talk about this one first because it's the foundation to you being able to access God's provision in your life. Remember the story last week of Elijah and the widow we talked about? Remember that story? Anybody remember the story? Shake your head. Remember that story, right? Elijah goes into this village where there's a widow there and he says, make me some bread, right? Remember that story? She said, what did she say to him? I don't have any bread. I've got a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil, and I'm about to make our last piece of bread and die. We're gonna, my son and I are going to eat this. We're going to die. So that's all. She had just a little bit left. Does anyone remember what Elijah told her to do? Make me 
A piece of bread, what? First. And I told you last week that Elijah was not being selfish. Elijah was not into him. It was not about, wasn't about him. He was a representative of God trying to teach this lady how to step into provision because she was about to have her last meal. And Elijah said, what I want to teach you is I want to teach you the principle of giving to God, not last, but giving to God what? First. Take what you have and first give it to God. And this is the principle in life called tithing or first fruits. I don't ever uh, apologize for teaching people tithing because tithing is the way that you step in through the door of blessing in your life. And there are people in this church that can testify today if I had time, could bring them up on the platform and they could say, I have learned this principle, I've lived it out, and, I, 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 and they would testify of the value of this in your life. So I'm here to help you today, okay? I'm not here to do anything other than to help you because as soon as pastors start talking about money, people say, well, they've got another agenda. I have one agenda today, I wanna help you. That's all I want, okay? That's my one agenda. I want to help you today. And the principle of the tithe is this. God established something going all the way back. And we first see it in, in the time of Abraham, of Abraham giving his first 10% to God. And it works all the way through Scripture. Even Jesus affirmed it in Matthew 23, verse 23, the principle of the tithe. And if you want to argue about whether it's a biblical principle or not, I'm sorry, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm absolutely convinced and know that it's a biblical principle all the way through the Bible. And you have the right to be wrong. Okay? So it's just, I know it. I understand it. Okay? People want to argue about this. I, I don't want to argue with you. Okay? If you don't believe it, that's your choice. Okay, But I'm telling you, I know from Scripture as a Bible teacher and a Bible student, I understand that the principle of tithe is a God-established principle that happened before the law and continued into the time of Jesus Christ. He himself affirmed it. And so we give, the tithe is the giving of the first 10% to God, and then the next 90% is yours to do what you need to do with it in life. And I'm going to talk about more related to that in just a moment. But the first fruits go to who? To God. Now, why do we give our first fruits to God? We give it to God because it proves to Him that we trust Him. First of all, you have a job because who blessed you with the job? God blessed you with the job. You have, whatever you have in life is not because you're all that. What you have in life is because God has been watching over your life and every resource you have belongs to Him and came from Him. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And so your tithe is your way of saying, God, thank you, I'm paying my rent. I'm giving back to you that portion that acknowledges that you are the source of my life with gratitude I give to you. Now let's take a look at what the scripture says in Matthew, Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse number 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. And so he says, here's this principle. In fact, earlier he had rebuked them and told these, this group of people that they had been robbing from him by the withholding of their tithes. And then he teaches them this principle, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Let me walk you through this. He gives us the percentage 
Tithe, the Hebrew word, means a tenth portion. And so that's all it means. That's the definition of the word. So God establishes the percentage. And the percentage is for someone that has a little bit or somebody that has a lot. It's a penny out of every dollar, uh, out of every dime. It's a dollar out of every, it's a, a dime out of every dollar. I got to do my math this morning, okay? It's a dollar out of every $10, $10 out of every $100. It's just the same. Whatever. So for all of us, wherever we are in life, God says, if all you got is a dime, give God a penny, okay? If all you have is a dollar, give God a dime. That's all it is, okay? So there's a specific percentage that God has established. It goes to a specific place. Bring your tithe into the storehouse. Storehouse was the house of God where the things of God were taken care of. I believe, and many biblical scholars believe and join me in this, that the storehouse is the place where you get your spiritual food. It's where you're being uh, ministered to and strengthened in the things of God. It is your local church. And so you bring your tithe into your storehouse. There's a purpose that there may be food in my house so that ministry can go on. The kingdom of God can be advanced. And then there is a promise. So percentage, place, purpose, promise. Say it with me. Percentage, place, purpose, promise. God says, if you will do this, I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing upon you. There's not even room enough to receive. There's the promise. And here's my challenge to you. If you've never taken that step in your life, that's a step that says, this is how I'm going to show God that I really have faith. It's easy to say, trust God with your mouth. But when you actually use the key called tithing and give God your first 10%, you're not just saying something, you're showing something with your life. You're saying, God, I really do trust you. Because listen, your tithe is not about your money. Never has been. Your tithe is about showing God your trust. God is not, God doesn't need your money. God needs your heart. Amen? God needs your heart. And so often we hold on. See, the Bible says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also, right? And one of the best ways to break the, 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 the struggle of, of, of greed in your life and all kind of things that, that hold you back is to make the choice to say, I'm going to give God my first fruits. If you have never done that, my prayer to you is that starting today, in fact, I thought about handing out commitment cards to you just for you. We were not going to take them up, but just for you to write down and say, I'm committing. I'm not giving you a card today, but I hope that you will make the step starting today to say, you know what? Maybe I've never done this before, but today I'm going to start this journey with God. And don't just do it like today, okay? Make it a practice of your life because, and I will tell you, it's one of the ways you get out of financial distress. It's one of the ways you walk out of financial distress in your life. But make the commitment that you're going to live life proving that God is able to take care of you. I will tell you that I learned this principle as a little kid. I've told you the story. I don't want to bore you with it again, but just a quick reminder of my story. I learned to tithe when I was maybe six, seven years old. When my dad gave me my first allowance, 10 pennies, and he, said, and he gave me an offering box of offering envelopes at the same time. He said, son, here's what you do. You get a dime for your allowance, and remember this, one penny out of that goes to God. So you put it in your offering envelope and take it with you to church on Sunday. Now, I wasn't real happy about that, okay? To be honest, okay? Because back in those days, you could buy, you, sometimes you get two pieces of bubble gum for a penny, okay? I know you can't believe that, that's 
Those were the old school days, okay? Right? You remember, don't you, Rob? Okay. okay. Double bubble or bazooka. Anybody remember bazooka? Okay, you got the comic strips in them. So God was taking my bazooka. Okay. Okay. But my dad taught me, no son, you give the first ten, you give the first tenth. Every penny out of that dime goes to God. And from that time forward, perhaps with a slight period of time when I was a teenager, I've continued that practice in my life and I've grown that practice in our life beyond the 10%. And I will tell you something, and I will testify, and we could bring lots of people up today to testify, you can live off of 90% better than 100% when you give the first 10% to God. It just works that way. And it breaks fear in your life, okay? It breaks fear in your life. You say, I want to be free from fear. Well, do something, okay? Do something that breaks the fear. Start putting God first in your finances. Now, I've got 10 minutes to cover six, seven more points, okay? Or six, five more points. So this is going to be really, really fast, okay? What's the next one? All right. Is this number four? Okay. Number four, work diligently, faithfully, and excellently. Don't just... If you, it's one thing you got to give to God, but you also have to work. Amen? Okay. Yeah, I mean, you got to go to work. Okay. Work is something God blesses. God blesses work. God wants you to be. I believe that Christians ought to be the best workers on their job. You know, what, what I hope from our church family is I hope that the best workers in the D.C. area go to Church of the Redeemer. I want you to be excellent at whatever you do. Why? Because you're gifted. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You ought to be amazing at what you do. And so take your job seriously and show up. You know why? Because when you work diligently and faithfully and excellently, I promise you somewhere along the line, it's going to bring blessing to your life. Okay? Somebody's going to notice it. It might not be your current boss. It might be another set of circumstances, or it may be your current set, but somebody's going to notice, and promotion comes when you work diligently and excellently, and you work with a sense of faithfulness. Number five, the fifth thing that you do in your life is you manage your resources wisely, okay? So I'm going to give to God first, amen? I'm going to work how? Best work I can do, okay? Because God gave me my job. I want to treat it with, with, with honor and give my best to it. And then with the resources that God will give me, I'm going to manage those resources wisely. So I give the first 10% to God. And how much does that leave you with? 90%. So what are you going to do with the 90%? I promise you, that if you give, even if you give the first 10% to God and you're foolish with the 90%, you're still going to be in trouble. If everything you see you buy, you're going to be in trouble. If you buy stuff you can't afford and you whip out Mr. MasterCard to pay for it, it's just a matter of time before Mr. MasterCard is going to call and say, don't be using me anymore, okay? You hit your credit limit. So you've got to manage your life well. It's not just enough to give to God. I see people at times, well, I gave to God and it didn't work. Well, you gave to God and you were, you were foolish with everything else, okay? So here's, the, here's a great principle of life. If you can get to this point, it's valuable. And I've taught our kids this and try to teach as many people as I can this. Here's what, where you want to get. By the way, if you're struggling with financial challenges in your life, I encourage you, take Financial Peace University. It's a, we have it right here at our church. It'll help you to learn these biblical principles uh, in, in, in a very powerful way. But here's, here's, a, here's a principle I would give you. 
I call it the 10-10-80 principle. Say it with me. 10-10-80, okay? Here's, here's a goal for your life. The first 10%, who does it go to? God. The second 10%, where should it go? Put it somewhere away. Because I promise you, your brakes are going to need to be repaired one day, okay? Your, something in your house is going to break down. You're going to need a little fund to help you get through uh, stuff that happens in life so that you have some margin, okay? So that everything doesn't become a crisis for you, okay? So the first 10% goes to God. The next 10% you put away for saving for uh, issues that will happen in life. And then you, you begin to adjust your lifestyle to live within that 80% range. And you say, well, that's impossible. Well, it might seem impossible right now. You may have to work your way there, but make it a goal for your life. And that might mean that you have to adjust the size house that you live in or the kind of car that you drive or the kind of clothes that you bear, wear. It may be some adjustments, but it'll be worth it to you to get to that place where there's some margin in your life so you're not living right at the edge of crisis every day. That's the goal that you want to get. So manage your resources well. Is this number six? Okay, number six, all right? Grow your generosity. Don't just stop with giving 10%, but over time, grow that. Become, why? Because every time, you get, every time you become more generous, when you become generous, I'll say it this way, you become more like God, right? Is God generous? Yes, God is amazingly generous, okay? And so when we learn to be big, bigger in our giving, we're becoming more like God. If you get stuck at 10% for your whole life and giving to God, you haven't really, you, really at that point, you've only tithed. You haven't even learned giving. Giving is what goes beyond that. And the Bible is very clear about this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6 through 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse 7 says, God loves. What kind of a giver? Not a grumpy giver, okay? God loves a cheerful giver. Why would you be cheerful in giving? Because you know the blessing that it brings to your life. That's, how, that's, that's the reason that it brings about cheer. Actually, the Greek word there is where we get our English word hilarity from. It's hilarious to give. There's a lot of laughter that goes into giving because you know the blessing that comes. Number seven, live contentedly. This is how you find freedom from the fear of lack. Be content. Contentment is just you're full on the inside. You, 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 just, you just, everything is settled and you're not at unrest on the inside. You, you just know that God's taking care of your contentment. And the contented person is just saying, God, I know you're going to, whatever I'm going through right now, I know I'm going to get through it. You're taking care of me. I'm going to be fine. That's how Paul lived his life. Philippians 4, 12, and 13. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. First Timothy 6, 6 through 8. But godliness with, note the word there, contentment is great gain. That is, you gain a great advantage in life when you have godliness and you add to it contentment. I love 7 and 8, 1 Timothy 6. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Amen. You know how everybody was born buck naked? Not a single one of you that came in with desire clothes. Okay. 
Every one of us. We brought nothing into this world. We take nothing out. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And the last thing I'll share with you today that breaks this fear of lack in your life is to live gratefully. Be a grateful person. It's interesting that the root word for thank, thank you, thank, is the word think. Actually, the word thank came from the word think. Interesting, isn't it? Because you really can't thank without thinking, right? Because to thank means that I stop for a minute and I think about what I have in my life. And here's the problem for most of us along the way. We, we, we instead of thanking, instead of being grateful, we have a lot of grumbling, don't we? We grumble our way through life and are frustrated about what we don't have. And God says, no, time out. Just, just sit back for a moment and think about everything I've blessed you with. Do you know that every person in this room today, you are blessed? You have incredible blessing already in your life right now. And when you move beyond thinking about what you don't have to thinking about what you do have, it facilitates a contentment in you and it helps to break the fear of lack. Remember, God is an amazing source. Take the steps of faith. Don't just mouth the words, God, I trust you, but put feet and action into them and see how God will take care of you. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We're so grateful for you speaking to us today. We ask you'll take this message and apply it deeply to our hearts. And I pray that there will be people here today. Lord, that this will be the day they will take that step to put you first in the realm of life that we've talked about, that the fear of lack will be broken by steps and actions of faith starting today. And their life will be turned around with a testimony for their future. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God. And we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's son, the Savior the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. 
If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.